As God is preparing the children of Israel for this trek through the wilderness, um, he's going to give them some things that they need, and I think that's important. When we come to God's Word, it's stuff that we need. He didn't write it for himself, obviously. He wrote it for us. And so these are things uh, that he thought we needed. And um, as a good father, uh, as any good father would do, we always try to give our kids what they need to survive, not only survive, but to excel, to do the best they can. And we strive for that. Um, To be honest with you, since I've been on Facebook, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I would. Some of it's garbage, obviously. (laughs) 90% maybe. Some of it, some people post some stuff from, from some people that's just, they're just absolutely amazing. Just things people do, you know, caught on tape or whatever. Last one was some kid, I think, who posted it. I'm looking around here if I can find you. Some kids singing in middle school. Who did that one? Okay, you're not going to own it. Yeah, it was you. What was that kid's name? Man! You guys all know him. You're all going, yeah, that's Zeke. How come, you know? Amazing. Amazing. And here's what I mean by it. That's why I bring it up. That's one. One little middle school kid sings like a, I mean, he's in the chorus. I mean, when he's up there. I'll, I will sing as low as I can when I'm in heaven, but this guy, he's in the front row with 12 mics kind of thing up in heaven. Beautiful, beautiful voice. Didn't understand what he was singing. Was it in Italian, probably? Yeah, figures, right? Why not? If you're in middle school, why not sing in Italian? <laughs> what a flunky, right? God gives us gifts because he wants us to excel, you know? He gives us talents, abilities, things that maybe most people don't see. Some are hidden. Some people don't know about your gift, your talent, the thing that you excel at. You know, it's your thing. Um, but God does, you know. And that's kind of part of it. Zeke's great, but without an audience, Zeke's kind of just out there. So we get to appreciate what he gets to sing to us, and we get to hear that. And likewise, in the body of Christ... We want to use those gifts in such a way, and they don't have to be out there and overt, um, but it takes an appreciator, (laughs) you know, to make that gift super valuable, you know. I just want to encourage you in this. As we go through the things that God wants to give us to not only survive in this wilderness journey, in the nation of Israel in this wilderness journey, he also wants us to excel in those things, and he wants us to do it out loud kind of thing. So whatever it is that your gift is, whatever it is that God's given you as a thing, do it out loud so people can appreciate it. It's such a blessing to see these things and to see people do these things. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's some pretty pretty cool stuff out there, and I love seeing it, and I love making just little comments. I don't want to do a big, you know, because the kid doesn't know me from Adam, you know, who's this weirdo, look, you know, stalking me on Facebook or whatever, but, you know, encourage one another and then and show your appreciation, you know. So, so God gives them this stuff because he wants them to have it. And this, he's going to build the tent, is the thing we're doing here. This is the tabernacle. They had two places of worship, the nation of Israel. The tabernacle was the first place that God gave them. Then later on, Solomon, by his dad's hand, builds a temple, permanent place. You know? um, so those are, those are the two places where they would worship God. And it's just a location. That's all it is. God realizes that the nation of Israel, coming out of such a... Uh, such a worldly environment in Egypt, they were used to seeing the God. 
going to where the God was, seeing the God, then leaving the God there at the house and going back to your house kind of thing. They were used to seeing all that. God never intended that. Abraham walked around, worshipped God wherever he was. God would show up, walk by his tent once in a while. Amazing. And they just have this relationship, which is how God intended us to have that relationship. But in the, in the garden, God didn't have a location. He wasn't behind the fifth tree to the you know, right. He was just there, and they knew it. You know. But knowing their needs, knowing where they were, knowing what they had become accustomed to for 400 years as slaves in Egypt, he does this for them, for them. So he's going to build this, this tent for them where he's going to show up or rest upon and they can worship him there at that location. So we begin with the offering. They don't have, uh, you know, the building materials have already, and this is a way to look at it, the building materials have already been given out and dispersed to all the people. It's up to them to then give it back to God to build what he wants to build, if that makes sense. And so they're going to take up an offering, an offering, okay? It's not a tithe. This is an offering. This is something that comes from the heart, something that they desire to do, something that they, they feel compelled in their heart to do. No, he's just going to ask and let them know, here's what we need, and whoever brings it, brings it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. It makes no difference. I just want you to ask, is the idea. And so th- that's how we start off with, for this sanctuary. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skins dyed red. Badger skins and acacia wood. Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod, in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, so you shall make it. I want you to follow the pattern. Very important. There is some artistic freedom here. He only gives us certain directions. Now, I'm not sure. A couple times he says to Moses, now remember, do it just like I showed you up on the mountain. Not necessarily with words. He might have had an image to look at. I need pictures, personally, when I'm building stuff. Give me a picture. So maybe he did get an image. And so he knows how these angels are going to put their wings in front of them and how it's going to look and all that. It might have been a really specific plan. Or it could have been open to a little bit of interpretation. Just make sure these elements are present, you know, is the idea. Now, but I want you to make it according to the pattern. I don't want you to do it, um, I don't want you to make it like you want to make it. I want you to make it like I want to make it, okay? And that's along with us, what God's trying to do with us as people. I want, I want you to make yourself or let me make you the way I want to make you, not the way you want to make yourself. You know, I want this image, I want people to think this way of me, and I think to accomplish those two goals, I need to do it this route, There's a little bit of open interpretation there, but we really need to take and make sure that the elements are there. God's elements are there. And he wants us to be made like he wants us. We were made in his image. And so the idea here is the tabernacle is, according to the pattern, a picture of heaven. What I want on earth here, what I want you to see daily, what I want you to go in and out of and walk around and camp around, eventually this will be the central central point of their encampment. Every time they move, they'll set this up first and everybody will set up 
based off of that. That's their, that's their point of reference, okay? And so I want this to look right. I want it to look just like heaven, and so I want you to do it just like I told you, according to the pattern that I showed you, because I want it to represent me properly, and you can see where I'm going with this. As God builds us as people, I want to make sure that you represent me properly, that you look like I look. I made you in my image, and I, I want that image expressed. I want it seen. So he tells them how to do this. Jesus, in John chapter 1, which you can turn there if you want, I'm going to just kind of give you a synopsis, but that's where it is, and you can read it in detail, said that, the, that he tabernacled among us. Jesus tabernacled among us. And he wanted to make that point. God here says, I want you to build a tabernacle that I may dwell with you. And then later on, Jesus says, I am that tabernacle. I'm the one dwelling among you. When you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the expressed image of the Father. And you can see it all connecting together there, how God does that. But that's not, that's a couple thousand years away before that happens. Right now, I want this tent to look like the way I want it to look. He tells them that I want you to do it from a willing heart. I want it to be anybody that's, It's in their heart to do. I want them to do that. I don't want any materials to build my place that comes from compulsion or comes from guilt or comes from pressure. I want it to come from their hearts. I want it to be a free will offering, just a gift, a a thank you. Uh, I'm just compelled to do it. I must, I must, I must, because I love God. That's where 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. He never wants us to give grudging. He never wants us to have that attitude of, I wish I hadn't done so much or given so much or, oh, you know, that's going to hurt. No, 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 no. It should never be like that. Keep it. Keep it. And that's basically what he tells everybody. I don't want anybody to give that doesn't want to give. I want it to stay in their wallets, I guess, where it belongs, you know, kind of thing. He wants a cheerful giver because the problem with grudging giving is there's a critical spirit that comes along with that. You know, why did it get used that way? As if it still has ownership. As if it wasn't given to God. Like it wasn't just laid in his lap to do with what he wanted to do with it. There's always this, this check of, I'm not so sure I would have done that with that money. Here's, I don't know if that was necessary. We're going to see God use gold to build his temple. I think that's interesting. Some would say that's a pretty extravagant God. He wants gold overlaid on everything. Gold, the idea of the gold is, is it's, first of all, it's the metal of deity. It shows that he's Lord. It shows that he's divine. That's why it is. And so everything we're going to make, all the furniture is going to be overlaid with gold. We'll get to that in a minute. But I also want it to be shiny. I want when that, see, God's got this plan in his head. He's an artist. I got this plan in my mind. And when this is all done and you light those lamps for the first time, we'll get there in a minute. It's just going to be amazing in that room. The room's going to be absolutely pitch black by the time. They've got layer over layer over layer of tent flaps. It's going to be pitch black. And when the priest comes in and lights these seven lamps on this lampstand, and it begins to shimmer off all the gold in there, and it just starts light. It's going to be amazing, absolutely amazing. And I want them to see that, is what he's saying. I want them to see that. I want that picture. I want that to be the experience they have when they come in. Beautiful. But I want you to do it with a cheerful heart. So all those without a cheerful heart, just, that's fine. They'll be enough. Now remember, there's a million plus people here. I mean, if, if, if 1% decides to bring one thing, they're good. You know, it's not like a struggle for them. 
you know. Um, it's a really small tent. Um, it's really not that big. Um, the materials isn't that much of a stretch. Nobody's got to dig deep into their wallets. We don't need any $1,000 pledges this morning, you know, to make sure that we're going to make our building payment or anything. This is, there's a lot of people here. They took a lot of stuff out of Egypt. All God's asking for is somebody who has the heart and the means, and they all do, a little, or whatever comes out of your heart, you know. And so that's what I want you to do. And he gives them the materialist. Here's what I need. So Moses' job was to go out and tell everybody, here's what God's asked me to ask of you so we can make this tent, this tabernacle. Verse 10. And, so that's the material for the, for the tent and, and all the other stuff too. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. Basically four by two. Two by two, you know, this way and four, four foot long. So four foot, four by two by two, if you can picture that in your mind. So that's about what it looks like, four foot by two foot by two foot. And that's a guess. 18 inches is about a cubit, so 18 and a half would be 24 inches. And so a cubit, when they measure a cubit, in case you're wondering, like, what's a cubit? A cubit was from the tip of your finger to your elbow. And that was whoever was king. So if you get some six foot seven, you know, NBA basketball player or whatever, you got, you got bigger cubits that, that year, you know, kind of. It was really, you know. Metric wasn't in the, their mindset at that point. We still hate metric, don't we? Really good stuff, though, if I could get my mind around it. I still hate centimeters. They do that to me at, 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 when I'm reading medical charts. It's so many kilograms. <sighs> got to go to Google and figure out this. I got to know the pounds. I got to know the pounds. Anyway, so a cubit, that's about how far it is, is the idea. Okay? So I want you to make this box, basically. Uh, it's an ark. They call it an ark because it's going to hold stuff. It's hollow. It's a box. I don't want it sealed. I don't want the top on it. There's a mercy seat that will be made later to, to, to be the lid. Um, but basically, I want you to make this box two by two by four. Okay? And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make, it, uh, make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. And put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. Them is going to be the priesthood later on. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put uh, into the ark the testimony which I will give you. So I want you to build this first, and when I give you the Ten Commandments here in a minute, I want you to put those inside of it. Two other things are going to go inside this ark. There's going to be a jar full of manna, which they've already collected. Remember, they made that jar, and the, an omer, I think, about of, of, of manna. They put it inside there. That's going to go inside. Later on, there's going to be a dispute between who's supposed to be the rightful priest and Aaron's rod is going to bud. It's a dead stick, basically, and they're going to leave it there, and all of a sudden it's going to bloom overnight, and they're going to take Aaron's rod and put it, which represents the priesthood. Okay, so those are the three things in the ark. So if whenever you're playing Bible trivia, you'll know, right? The Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rod, which is, uh, I think it's almond wood, I think is what it was, and it, it blooms and all. So those are the things I want you to stick in it, but for now, just the testimony. That's all he gives us. And rings in it, and I want you to carry it. Now, the next thing I want you to make, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. So this is the lid, basically, but he calls it a seat. 
He calls it a seat, which gives us a clue as to what this thing is. It's not just a box. It's going to be God's throne, his chair, okay, basically. So I want this mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim uh, in the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. So it's all kind of connected. You don't want to, we don't want them bolted on or, or riveted on. I want them to all kind of be joined into it. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From heaven the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Now, so you get an idea of what this looks like. And some see, you know, you get some artist renditions of it on the internet. You can see what they look like, kind of like this, facing each other. This is a picture of heaven, remember. So you've got God's throne in heaven. And this is just the beginning. I mean, it's really a beautiful picture. You've got, when, you, when you read John's revelation of what he saw in heaven, and the pool, and the sea of glass, and you see the throne, and you see the glowing, and you see all the stuff, you'll understand why God's doing all this. We'll try to connect those together maybe as we go through this. But you've got these, because cherubim are flying around the Lord, constantly giving them, they're the ones that say, holy, holy, holy. As they're flying around, holy, 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 holy. So I want you to put those guys in there. You know, put these guys in there. Um, And I want that to be, I want them to be facing me. Because they don't face away from me. They're, they're worshiping also. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And you'll, you'll meet them later, Moses, when you get up here. Um, but I want you to do this thing. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 4 describes this, why it's called, I should say, the mercy seat. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, describe what God does in his chair. (laughs) Now he's talking about Jesus here, seeing seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Confession being, I trust in Jesus and he's my Lord and he's my Savior. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why it's called the mercy seat. It's what we do there. It's what God does there. It's the place to receive mercy. Here's the thing. His, his mercies are new every morning, right? We, we read that. And there, but there comes a time in a person's life when, when they've rejected God and they've rejected their guilt. They don't think they're guilty is what I mean. You can't give someone mercy who isn't expecting it or desire it from you. It's, it's hard, you know. I'm going to not give you what you deserve. They don't know what they deserved, is the idea. That, that's why the Ten Commandments are so important to be in that mercy seat. Do you understand this is a judgment seat? 
based off these Ten Commandments, and you've broken them, so therefore judgment should be coming to you from this seat. But I'm going to call it the mercy seat because I'd rather give mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'd, I'd like to do that. I'd like to give you, I'd like deserve obedience rather than sacrifice. But he says, I, I'd like to give mercy. I want to give mercy is the idea. But you've got to know that you've broken or that you need it to get it. So this seat's called the mercy seat. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, do you know that we have a high priest who sympathizes with your weakness? And so it's okay to tell him, I'm weak. He, he, doesn't ha- he's not, he doesn't have disdain for our weakness. He has sympathy for my weakness. He understands that. He doesn't excuse it. doesn't say it's okay. You know, it's one of the verses I, I posted this one was, I, I love the woman caught in adultery not getting stoned, but the last few words are the most important. Where are your accusers? I have none. Neither do I accuse you either. Neither do I condemn you. Go, therefore, and sin no more. It was sin. She should have been stoned. The judgment was death, and she deserved it and earned it. Yes, the guy did too. That's beside the point. It's not about who's with me or how come, what about him. That's what Peter said. What, how's, how's John going to die? That's what, that's what he said. No, no, it's about you. It's about her. She deserved what was coming to her according to the law, but Jesus steps in and shows mercy and then says, go and sin no more. So important. She wasn't allowed to go back to an adulterous lifestyle. She wasn't about to go out and find a new man who didn't bail on her in her time of need. She was supposed to live a holy life. She was supposed to leave that life behind her, leave that sin behind her, and go and sin no more. That's what mercy does for us. That's the idea behind mercy. I want to give you mercy because I don't want to bring judgment on you, but there's also an expectation of, now don't do it anymore. I'm not your rock shield. It's not what Jesus came for. I'm not here to just, you know, keep, keep sinning. Go ahead. I got this. That's not what he wanted. I'm giving you mercy so that your heart changes, so that your life changes, so that you stop sinning. Because what she didn't understand was every time she did that, she gave a little bit away from herself. And she lost. She gave a little peace to that guy or to this guy or to that guy who wasn't her husband. And she's losing and she's being diminished and she's being undervalued and she's becoming less and less of what God created her to be and it's hard and it's sad for a father to watch that so go and sin no more I'm giving you mercy because I I don't want to kill you I'm not here to make sure I kill everybody I want to make sure everybody excels does the best they can that they reflect me properly I want my kids to grow up strong healthy Loving me because that's what's best for them. Obedient to me because that's what's best for them. And so there we have the mercy seat. But the mercy seat is designed to change us. You know, we, we, I, I alluded to that. He desires, um, he desires mercy rather than sacrifice. It's another scripture. He desires obedience too. But he desires mercy rather than sacrifice. When we come, when they come to this mercy seat, because they will come to this mercy seat. This is where I'll meet with you, he says. This is where I'll talk with you. When they come to this mercy seat, I don't want to sacrifice. I want you to be the sacrifice. When you come to the Lord, when you come to God's Word, when we come to church, when you're in your prayer time and God speaks to your heart, either from His Word or however, I want you cut up. 
I want you changed. I want this sharp two-edged sword that cuts between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. See, we get this wrong image. You've got to get the image of a high priest with the sword cutting up the sacrifice and doing it. He wants us laid out and broken before him so that we don't leave bloodied, but we, we leave a sacrifice. We've sacrificed. We're, we're, we're getting rid of the, the flesh. We're getting rid of the junk that's not supposed to be there. I don't want you to bring a sacrifice. I want you to be the sacrifice in a way. I know that gets a little weird. I'm not talking about replacing Christ. He is our sacrifice. He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. What I mean is when we come to the mercy seat, let him do his work and come away different. Don't come with a covering for your sin continually. Let's just sacrifice yourself and let that sin go away. Let it be cut out. Let it be removed. It is sacrificial to come up. It's not my will that I want done. It's your will that I want done. I've come here asking for forgiveness. I will give you mercy, but I want you to remove that from you. I want to take that away. And we need to let him. Verse 23. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. So now we've got this seat made, the chair, the throne. Now we're moving on to the second piece of equipment, the table. This is going to be, now if, you're, if you don't know the layout of it, you've got the holy of holy places in this tabernacle. You've got a tent flap that's about 10 to 18 inches thick. We really don't know. Then you've got the holy place. So holy of holies, God's mercy seat, this is where he sits. Barrier between us or the high priest, you know. And, and then on this side, you've got a couple things. You've got three things, really. You've got the over here's the, 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 the table that we're about to read about. Over here you've got the lampstand, and in front of that curtain here, um, just on that side of the curtain, on the holy side of the curtain where we can be, is the altar of incense. Okay, that's the, that's the picture you've got here. So, so far we built the God's throne. Okay, and now we're moving over to the table. The table is what we're talking about. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall, uh, and you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around. So about that big, that's the handbreadth from the tip all the way around. So you get this uh, skirting around this table. Um, and you shall overlay it with pure gold uh, and a molding all around. You shall make a frame, hath breadth all around. And you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around, verse 26. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, they put the rings on the four corners that are uh, at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. So that's how they're going to carry this thing. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for the pouring, and you shall make uh, them of pure gold. You shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now, showbread we'll talk about later. But this, remember, is just a table to put stuff on. The chair, the throne, was just for God to sit on. These are all just, they're just things. What, what's important about these things is the person who sits on the throne. What's important about the table is what's placed on the table, the showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He describes himself that way. So over to your right here, when you come in the, the front, you know, the tent flap or whatever, over to your right, you've got this bread. There's 12 loaves of this bread that's baked, and it would be brought in fresh continually. So when you walk into this place, who doesn't love the smell of fresh baked bread, right? 
You walk into this place and it just makes you feel comfortable, doesn't it? Instantly, it's like, hmm, nice. I don't think anybody's allergic. to. You can't eat the bread maybe because it's not gluten-free nowadays. But you sure love the smell of it, right? Okay, so there's that smell. That's, that's, a, that's the first thing that's going to hit you when you walk in. You know, so, and that represents Christ, the fragrance of Christ. Such a beautiful thing. He wants us to be that fragrance of Christ. He calls us to that. Some people smell death when they come by you as a Christian. And you know who those folks are. Oh, here comes the holy guy. Or here comes the holy gal. The, the Bible thumper. You're the fragrance of death to them. There's nothing you can do about that. They smell death. They, they like gluten-free. I don't know. But then to others, you're the fragrance of life. You're just refreshing. Oh, boy, I needed that today. I needed to see you today. I needed to hear that today. And we're supposed to be that for those people. The fragrance of Christ, okay? So when they smell me, they smell Jesus, right? Homey, comfortable, you know, closer to God, not further away. You know, I'm always, I'm always worried when I run into Christians and I feel like I'm not even sure I'm saved. It bothers me. When that's their impression, they come up to me and they, and I'm like, ah, you know, I know I'm saved. I'm a pastor, and I'm not saying that all pastors are saved, but I love Jesus, and that's the only reason I do what I do. And I pray, and I read God's Word, and I just, I love Jesus, and I know He died on the cross. So I know that I'm saved, but when I run into this Christian, I don't know that I am, based off their opinion. That bothers me. Because that's what people smell wherever that person goes. And I don't think that represents him properly. You've got this understanding here, this picture, that when they come in, the bread is to the right, that smell of that aroma has filled the room of worship. That's what it's supposed to be like when they're around us as Christians. People aren't repulsed by us. They're drawn to us, those who desire mercy. Now, there are those, like I said, that just have this, they smell death when they come in contact with us. There's nothing we can do about that. But we're supposed to have that fragrance of Christ, that fragrance of life, you know. But there's hope. Um, they're drawn closer to God because of it. So, I want you to build this table, he says. And on top of it, we're going to put these loaves of bread. So, that's to the right. To the left now, the third piece of furniture that God wants them to make. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. So I don't want you splicing stuff together. It's out of one piece of gold. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond uh, blossoms, on one branch. Okay, so you've got the stem in the middle, and you've got three branches coming out, and you've got three bowls. And Okay, so you get the idea. And, and again, open to interpretation, I'm sure, but God shows Moses exactly how he wants it to be. Almond, he likes that. So six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lamp stand out of one side, three branches out of the lamp stand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same. A knob, I don't know what a knob looks like. I don't understand that, but 
it doesn't matter. A knob under the second two branches of the same and a knob under the third two branches of the same according to the sixth branches that extend. Am I losing you? Okay, hold on. <laughs> Instructions are boring sometimes, maybe, right? But the product is great if we follow him. And so if he's, he's got to tell them. All that. And Moses said, I'm writing all this down, writing it all down. Hammered piece of pure gold. Verse 37, you shall make seven lamps for it. This is the point. And they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. So it's going to be against a wall, and I want it to be radiating out into the room. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. See to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So my guess is we've got some information here that's missing. That's my guess. Show it to the, remember that thing I showed you? I want you to make it just like that, and I want you to write it down, and he did both. Okay, now, here's the thing. First three pieces of equipment are God's throne, showbread table, and the lampstand. You've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit here, the light of men. It's a beautiful picture of heaven. You've got the cherubim above the throne worshiping God. You're going to have this veil, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. You've got that fragrance of Christ coming over here. You've got the light uh, of the Holy Spirit over here. Just this beautiful picture glimmering and shimmering off of all the gold in the room and um, sparkling and dancing on the sides of the curtains that are normally black unless these lamps are lit, which are lit continually. Um, And you've got this beautiful picture because I want it to look just like that. There's probably a lot more to it than that. But I know that he had six days of creation, right? And the seventh day he rested. And the last thing he put on this earth was us. And he wanted to make it just right, you know? I'm going to put the stars over here. I'm going to put the sun over here. And I'm going to make these creatures over here. I'm going to let the kids, I'm going to let, well, I'm going to let the kid, Adam, I'm going to let him name them and, you know, decide what they're going to be called and all that. It's just going to be great, you know? Just a father's heart always having a father's heart for us. Same kind of deal. I want you to make it just like this. I want you to help me. You guys get to build it. You guys get to bring the material. You guys get to do it. Here's the pattern. It's going to look just like heaven. And I want you, I want you, to, I want you to do this. I want you to build this. It's a beautiful thing. He wants our hands on it, you know. He doesn't need us. He, he's already made, like I said, the world the universe, and everything in it. He's already built all that stuff. But for some reason, when it comes to this, I want you guys to build this. I want you to do it. This is your time, you know. I want you to help me out here. And so they get the chance to be able to be a part of this working crew. And lots of other people are going to be brought in for this, lots of them. Lots of people are able to do this. It's just a, it's a beautiful picture of what God will. And then I'm going to meet you there when it's all done. This will be the place where we meet where we talk, where I talk to you and explain things to you. This is where we're going to meet. So this pillar of fire, this pillar of smoke that's been following me around is going to rest when they're done on this place. And the Shekinah glory is what they call it. It's just going to go out of this place. It's just going to be amazing, beautiful thing. And he's doing it all for them. He doesn't need this tabernacle. He doesn't need a place to rest his feet. He doesn't need these things. He's doing it for them. He's doing it for us. Christ is doing it for us. Last thing I want to read, and then we'll close, is Hosea 6.6. 6. Actually, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It's a short, it's a short one. I went the wrong way. He's one of the, uh, well, they call him a minor prophet, but that's just because it's a short prophet, short story. Isaiah, or, uh, sorry, 
Hosea 6. Better get that right. Only 11 verses. I'll just read through it. But I want you to pick up on some stuff. Come. What this has to do with is the sacrifice I was talking about earlier that, that maybe wasn't real clear. This is where I get it from, of us being the sacrifice, of us coming and being broken before the Lord. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter rain and former rain to the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your fatherless is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But like men, they transgress the covenant. There they dealt treacherous with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Oh, also, O oh Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. That middle section there is what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to read the whole thing so he had it in context. He's upset with them, obviously. He wants them to change. But I've come with my prophets for a reason. I've come to slaughter you. I don't want to kill you. I've come to slaughter you with my words. I want to be slain by God's words. I want to be cut by God's words. I want him to do his work in my life with his words. And that's what I mean by that. I don't, I don't desire. That's why it's the mercy seat. I'm not here for judgment. I'm not, I, I, he could have sent an angel to slay everybody, and he does that periodically in the scriptures, or he does it with the flood. I've sent prophets to you to slay you with my words. I want you to be slain. That's what it means to be slain in the spirit, right? Not the kind that you see on TV with a slap on the forehead and falling backwards. No, this kind of slain. Man, I was cut to the heart. I was cut to the heart, you know? I was broken before the Lord and I walk away and I'm going to be different. I'm going to be changed by this. And that's all he desired. Throughout Hosea, that's all he desires for you to come back to me. Quit being like you are with the religious name and come back to me, be slain by my words and be who I intended you to be. And so that's where we leave this morning. Now next week we'll be in chapter 26 and we'll go over um, the tabernacle itself and the building of the, the curtain that goes all the way around it and we're going to get the whole picture here. I'll try to have a, 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 I'll have a handout, just like a regular class, a regular class. We'll have a handout of what it looked like from an aerial view. If you had a drone and flew over this whole setup, you'd be able to see what it looked like, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are for us, that you do these things for us, um, that you love us with an everlasting love, and that nothing can separate us from that love. No one can separate us from that love. Lord, we love you back. This morning we've come here not just to attend. We didn't want to sacrifice our time. We didn't come here to sacrifice our money. We didn't come here to sacrifice anything. 
but ourselves, Lord. We want to be slain by your word. We want to be changed by your word, God. And so we pray that as we leave here this morning that we would be changed, not only hearing the word with gladness and receiving it with joy, but we let it have deep roots in our hearts and change us from the inside out, God that we'd reflect you properly, that you'd make us the way you want to make us according to your pattern, not according to our ideas. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning and want to, they've never made you their Lord and Savior. They've never asked you to be the architect of their life, the builder. Lord, they want to do that this morning. Jesus, thank you, first of all, for forgiving me for my broken commandments. All those things you've set for me that keep me safe, to keep me pure, to keep me like you, I've broken those things, and I understand that I need mercy. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins and placed me the death that was waiting for me, the rocks I deserve, the cross that was built for me, you took upon yourself so that I no longer have that. Now, Lord, because of that mercy, because of that forgiveness, God, help us to go sin no more now to not add to the nails or add to the rocks that you had to take for us or the thorns that were pressed and the spear that was shoved into your side. Help us to go and sin no more, Lord. To be made into your image again, to look like you, reflect you properly, that we'd be overlaid with gold, Lord. Not because we're deity, but because we reflect you, Lord, in this world. We want people to see you. We want them to smell the aroma of Christ. They want, we want to be the light of the world, God. We want all those things. And so we give our lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.